Welcome to the Parish the Thought Show. The opinions of Brian, your host, and his guests have not been sanitized or scientifically tested. So please consume at your own risk. Now, here's Brian. Ladies and gentlemen, and whoever else is listening, welcome back to the program. My guest today is Karishmay French, and a couple of years ago, she lost her soulmate, best friend, and husband, all who happened to have been the same amazing man. This loss has left her broken beyond anything she has ever experienced before. The strange part about this is how those around her are uncomfortable with her grieving process and feel like she should have moved on by now. She gives us all good counsel on what not to do or say in the wake of someone else's tragedy. Welcome, Karishme, to the program. <laughs> it is so good to have you. Well, thank you, Brian. I'm very, very happy to be here. And I invited you here because I've been watching from afar through social media. I think they would call that stalking. <laughs> Some would. Your grieving of your husband who passed almost two years ago, correct? Yeah. And I don't see, I don't know what other people are saying, but it appears that people are saying some horrible things to you and not letting you grieve the way you want to. And I think I've chimed in on some of your posts saying, you just do whatever you want, girl. Right, right. Well, so I'm kind of baffled. What's, tell me about, well, tell me about him and how you met and the the timelines and then okay. how, wherever you want to go. Um. So... I had ended a 22-year marriage that just was horrific. I'm a pretty independent person, very, very independent. You know, I divorced. I didn't have to. I, I planned it out well enough that I didn't have to live with my parents or anything. I mean, I went into real estate and was working 80 hours a week, right, and just killing myself to keep the, to keep the house that I had, keep my kids where they needed to be, all of that kind of stuff. And my ex-husband... I mean, there was restraining order. It, it took a while to get divorced. By the time 2017 rolled around, I was finally divorced. You know, I, it had been about a year and I decided to start dating because my goal has always been that I want to, I want to have my own eternal companion. You know, that's what I thought I had with my first marriage. No. And, um, in the process of going through real estate, I actually met some really great people that helped me figure out how to manifest what I want manifest my, you know, my goals, my successes, everything, you know, get those affirmations going, all of that. One particular person said, and she was a widow, and she was remarried, and she said, and I wasn't a widow at the time, just a divorcee, and she said, I wrote my husband down, and I said, I'm grateful that he's this. I'm grateful that he's that, because we know that words are powerful, they make and break the world, literally. And so I wrote him down. I was like, okay, I'm going to write this. And it made me have to have some deep introspection. I thought I knew what I wanted, but once I started... Minute, you wrote them down? Like, I wrote him down. Oh, like you, you I identified... him to me. Oh, like a seance. Yeah. No, <laughs> no <laughs> yes. but you know, I mean, I manifest and put it out in the world. This is what I want. 
You know, I mean, I started dating. I, I hit the ground, said my prayers, and then hit the ground working. So, you know, I went in and, and made sure that I had myself a profile. I was very specific in my profile. But when I wrote him down, I wrote things down like, I'm grateful that he wants to spend time with me. I'm grateful that he adores me. I'm grateful that he looks like this, that he acts like this, that he values this. I, I mean, you name it. I went down a 20-point list. And it was specific because you have to be specific. And as I started dating, I mean, I started dating in April 2017, went through that initial phase of figuring out, you know, I was dating quite a few people too. I thought, why not? Let's get six or seven people going at the same time. That way I can filter, right? See how it works. Because I'm pretty good to say if it works, it doesn't. Um, I ended a relationship that I thought was a possibility and... Within a month, I met my husband and met him on social or on um, online. Plenty of fish. <laughs> That's what it was called? Yeah, so plenty funny. of fish. <laughs> and uh, oddly enough, he was on there. He was, he was different. He's an actor. He's a screenwriter. He's a filmmaker. He's now a realtor. I mean, he's, I say this because my husband's always with me. He's always with me. It's just a strange feeling to not have him here physically. But so he had all these different pictures, different everything. And he was very enigmatic. I was very drawn to him. But he was also very straightforward. And just, you know, he really talked my language. And so we started dating. Um, again, I had made this um, vision board. I mean, I was doing all the things that you learn to do in real estate, you know, to the nth degree. And I, again, my vision board was very interesting because I had the French flag on there. My husband's name is Joshua Michael French. <laughs> so it's very strange. All these, I don't believe in coincidence, but anyway, um, we started dating and I was dating a bunch of other people and then he fell off the map for a couple of weeks. I figured he just kind of filtered himself out. And then two weeks later, he popped up again and was like, I want to, I want to go out, you know, um, I've got tickets to the basketball game at the Jazz. He knows I like to watch basketball, whatever basketball. And he said, you want to go? And I said, yeah. I mean, to say that you were with someone who it's the most comfortable you've ever been in your own skin, the most natural, the most perfectly made for you as my husband all the things that I had to experience in that 22 years of hell were washed away. They were just washed away. I was whole for the first time in my life, you know, and he would say things to me from my list that I had made that I, he'd never read, you know, and I was just like, oh, we were married for, we were together for five years and we were together all the time. And you'd think that after maybe the first or second year, you'd start getting tired of each other. We couldn't get enough of each other. And it wasn't just one-sided. It was like we were just, we just had to be together all the time. And What a horrible problem. Yeah. Gosh. Well, it is now. It's a problem now. Yeah. You know, but anyway, um, 2020 was super great for us business-wise. You know, everybody else was freaking out. That was a weird year, obviously, it was for lots of reasons. But in our business, it was very strange because it should have dropped out of the 
market, but it didn't. Well, it, we weren't told to shut down either. It became crazy, right? Yeah. yeah. We were deemed essential by some great overlord. Right. Somebody said we were important. Um, so we're flying high. And, and, you know, when we were sequestered to our home, we had all of our kids with us. And I say our kids because my ex-husband was never a father to his kids, but my husband could never have kids and he just took them in. They are his. So how old were all, and how many do you have and how old So we have three. And, um, in 2020, let's see, we had a couple that were, everybody was graduated, but just barely. So we had like an 18 year old, a 19 year old, a 22 year old. I mean, you know, they were in that age range and, but we were all living together. And it said a lot. I didn't realize it until about six months into that whole fiasco that I was like, man, everybody keeps talking about all this discord, but we love being with each other. You know, not just my husband and I, but with our kids, we love being with them. It's just, we don't have this discord. You know, he had brought, as my daughter so aptly refers to, she said, he is our angel, all of our angel. You know, he's all of ours. He saved us all, you know, and, and so anyway, 2020, December 10th, 2020, my husband had got sick right before Thanksgiving. He had these weird nodes on the back of his neck. And I said, you got to get that taken care of, but they were more focused with COVID. So he'd gone in in October to have that checked and they didn't bother to run, run any blood tests or anything. So by Thanksgiving, I was like, listen, something's not right. And we started getting some testing done. And um, even that, if you want to talk about the healthcare system, I'm just saying nobody should ever go anywhere, not even the doctor's office alone. You should always have somebody there hearing what's happening so that you can compare notes and actually figure out what they're going to do to you or not what they haven't or should. Um, he, He went in. It was like pulling hairs to get them to literally give us information. And it wasn't, if I hadn't have said, no, you guys have to give us the information, we will call back. We spent from eight o'clock in the morning until three o'clock that evening trying to figure out what they were, you know, because they kept transferring us and nurses and receptionists and MAs and blah, blah, blah. And so finally, we get this call, get, go to LDS. We told them you're coming. You have leukemia. And I literally just was like, what? You know? But again, I am the proverbial optimist. Okay? I'm scared as hell. But I'm, we are going to make this. And my husband's the same. You know, we're very similar. My daughter likes to say, it's like we could never tell who was who. Because you guys just said the same things, did the same. It was like, it was strange, you know, we get up there and I went through my moments of emotion and crying. And, but then I was like, you know, and I, and this is where it really stinks is I was praying. We had blessings. We had all kinds of, I have rock solid faith. I knew we were going to make it. Everything said we're going to make it. And we get there and we start all the treatment and we get all the way to, um, his transplant and see 
And here's where there was a lot of things that when you look back, you can see, you can see things, but the time you don't even think about it because you are surviving. You are like, what the hell do I have to do to get through this? And who do I need to talk to? And how do I need to get this done? Right? So I stayed with him in the hospital the whole time. I was sleeping on all kinds of stuff (laughs) or not sleeping at all, really, you know, just so that I can make sure that these people don't kill him and all of their efforts to save him. Um, But his mother didn't ever come out. And she lived nearby? No. Oh, where, where is... She's in Indiana. Okay. But this is her firstborn born child. And he's just been diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. She didn't come out until May of 2021. So this is after the transplant. Now, what do they transplant for leukemia? What, so what gets he had acute myeloid leukemia. That means that you have to transplant the stem cells. Okay. You have to have a stem cell transplant. Okay. The bone marrow transplant, um, because it's through your whole body. This yeah. is in your blood. Okay. Um, and those transplants are interesting because if, if your body rejects it, it, it isn't that your body rejects it. It's that the transplant rejects your body. So instead of your body attacking just the kidney, the stem cells will attack your whole body. But he never had anything like that happen. It was actually a very successful transplant. Um, and all the stuff that we found out later, he had a sister that became a perfect match. But we I just found out a lot about his family that we thought that they were helping us more than they were. They were very much on the, I don't know, I, thought, I think they thought he was just going to die from the get-go and they didn't do anything to change their mind on that. Her, his sister took about two weeks to decide whether she wanted to donate her stem cells. And we used to think that, you know, you lay on a table, they get that great big syringe out and stick it into your bone and it's so painful. They don't do that. They hook you up just like you're given blood. They take it out. They put all your blood back in and they package it and, and you get it, you know, it's just an infusion. And so she took so, two weeks. So it's not this horrific process. No, two weeks. Did they not know that? She was a, she was on the Be The Match. She's been on the Be The Match for 20 plus years. So it just, there's a lot of feelings I didn't know that people had for us that were very bad. Um, But neither here nor there. They didn't come out. I didn't care. I wasn't thinking about it because I thought we were all on good terms and I was just taking care of my husband. I am very capable. I am a great caretaker. So I just took care of my husband. Um, Was was your marriage to him his his first marriage or was he married prior? No, he was married prior. I did have people that he was married to contact me afterwards to tell me about his family. <laughs> was, I'm like, well, where the hell were you? You could have given me a heads up and I would have made certain decisions, right? But Did he give you any kind of warning about what his family was like? No. I should have, again, looked at what was going on. I should have seen how distant he was from them, you know, and how distant they were. I mean, they were your typical call on a Sunday, spend 15 minutes just asking, how are the kids? Okay, How's we'll talk weather? to you later. Yeah. They didn't really want to know about our lives. And I came to realize they didn't know about his life. They didn't even know who his friends were to ask to be the pallbearers. They didn't know who his dearest friend, who is still taking care of us as a brother for my husband. They didn't know who he was. It's just a strange phenomenon when you see people clearly, but it takes a bit. 
that sounds like a whole other episode. Yeah, totally different. To so, but so my husband, we you know, we got through that uh, bone marrow transplant. He was the poster child for everything good. He was just, I mean, everything was just off the charts. And then he relapsed in November of 2021. He also contracted COVID. Here's a funny thing. Those doctors were on him like flies on poop to get the COVID shot, the vaccine. But after a bone marrow transplant, they won't let you get any other vaccine. You know, the tried and true ones. Mm -hmm. They won't let you do that for a full year after you've gotten a bone marrow transplant. And here they were shoving this down his throat. And we were like, why? Why? You know, and eventually we caved because you th- you're so worried, you know, and I'm like, but. And they're the professionals and the experts. But the logic did not ever set well with either one of us. We just, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, um, he got COVID. Oddly enough, I got COVID too. We spent, uh, let's see, maybe a little bigger than this room, an entire month. They wouldn't let us out of that room. We had to stay in a room about this size. For a month. That make you stir crazy. Well, you think. Well, but you're with him. You would think. Here's what I came to realize. There was a day where I said to myself, I wonder why I don't miss being home. And then this very stark voice came into my head and said, Well, you are home. You're you're with Josh. Wherever Josh is, that is home. So anyway, we, we got through that. We were heading towards another stem cell or a bone marrow transplant, had another sibling when the doctors came in and said, uh, we're not going to be able to do it. And that was his birth date, you know, January 24th, 2022. And we were like, ah. Uh, so we got on the horn because MD Anderson in Houston, Texas has got all the trials and everything and they accepted us. And I mean, I, I had to do some miraculous things to get him there. Cause that's where he wanted to go. You know, he, he had friends contacting him. He's a very gregarious person, very well connected. And all these people were like, you've got to check this out. If this is your last, you know, this is your last ditch effort. You've got to go to MD Anderson. So we did. And it was just by a miracle. But when we got there, everything changed. These people did not give a damn about him. He was a lab rat. The nurses didn't pay attention. And LDS told me that they would do that. But I thought I was on my game. What I realized is I was super tired. A year and a half and you're tired. You know, and so I petitioned his mother to come out. I said, either your mother or my mother has to come out. And I didn't care which one, because at the time I didn't know there was a problem. I asked her to come out. I said, you're not going to be able to work. She was in school too. She was getting her doctorate. I said, you're going to have to put all those things on hold. And we all know that they'll let you do that. Those people will say, I understand. You need to be there for your son. You know, she refused to quit working. She came out, but she would not stop working or teaching her classes. And so she'd be there, but not really, right? But I didn't care. It was a warm body to hold on to because I'm telling you, you get to this point where you're just like, holy sh! I have to have some support. Somebody's got to hold me. Somebody's got to tell me if I'm making the right choice, you know, because your brain gets tired. 
And my sweet husband, he was doing his best. He was trying everything he could to hold himself together positive. Are you kidding? Here he is in all of this pain and suffering and just unbelievable. And the nurses would come in and he would say, how you doing? What can I do for you? And I just would be like, <laughs> just an amazing human, you know? Um, anyway, you see things you shouldn't see in the hospital. You see the reality of this is their job. This isn't something that they, you know, it's not their calling. And at that time, grinding through COVID, they were, oh, they were wiped out as well. Absolutely. Sure. If I wouldn't have gotten the, um, oh my gosh, what's it called? It's, um, I was his, not his guardian ad litem, but I was his representative. So I had a power of attorney. So once I got the power of attorney, they couldn't prevent me from, they couldn't do anything. I had to be there. They couldn't, they wanted to, they didn't want me there. Um, we were there maybe a week and he, the nurse, he started coughing. And the strange thing was in, at LDS, before we even knew there was an issue, literally they were changing his meds and taking an x-ray. And I mean, we were like, whoa, whoa. I mean, they were on it like Donkey Kong. MD Anderson, I've got this. And I think it was just a cultural thing, honestly, cultural, because this, this was an immigrant woman who, she was putting me off. Everything I said, oh, he's coughing about 10 o'clock in the morning. He's coughing. And that's weird that I would notice that because they should have noticed it. And they didn't. Yeah. Didn't call the mid-level. By the shift change, another nurse comes on, same. I'm telling her, hey, he's coughing up blood at this point. By 6 o'clock at night, he's coughed up like six phlegms of blood. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on? So I finally give it another nurse and said, come in here. He is. And she's like, what is going? And so then that's when I knew shit was hitting the fan. It was not okay. Things were going crazy. Right. Um, he couldn't breathe. They tried a regular cannula. They tried a BiPAP. They had to put him on the BiPAP. They botched his, um, they had to give him a catheter. They botched it. And I hate to say this, but Here's the thing, before you start speaking to someone about what they've lost, you might want to know what they've seen. I had to watch my husband. Um, and, you know, this is good information for any male who's going to have a catheter. Make sure it gets all the way up into your bladder, because if they blow it up in your prostate, that's what they did. And he bled through four bags of blood clots that he didn't even have. We were short on blood. He needed blood transfusions. He needed platelets. So this one mistake cost his body so dearly. And he's sitting on this table and he's naked and cold and they're not doing anything. And that wasn't even the worst things that they'd done to him. So they got him into the ICU. It was just a, it was a nightmare. Let's just say that, the ICU. Picture you're in a fishbowl and there is literally every sound that you can imagine. Beep, 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 ding, 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 woo, woo. And then on top of these 50 sounds that are going off, there's a man over here who's going through some serious therapy and he's just doing this. Ah, 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 I mean, like all night long. Huh. 
And they're not shutting the door, and they're not shutting my door. Oh yeah, it's you not know, a place for peace or. My husband's got a blood clot in this arm, and they've got to pick him so they can check his insulin. They're supposed to pick it from this arm. Ladies coming in trying to stab him in this arm, and I'm like, I'm literally, I would be laying in this dead sleep, and I'd just jump out of my bed every time someone came in because I was like, oh, don't touch his arm. Make sure you use this one. I mean, just because I had to stay on top of everything because nobody's paying attention, not even my mother-in-law. Except she's paying attention. She's watching to see where I'm going to go wrong because she's got to find something wrong with me. And I can't figure out why. You know, I didn't know this till well after the funeral. I had no idea. I was clinging to her, just telling her how much I loved her and how grateful I was that she was there. And she didn't care at all. Well, so she watched me closely because eventually my husband just, he succumbed to all the, the, you know, his, his lungs filled up because they didn't get to him in time. He spent nine days on a ventilator. Um, they tried to get him off the ventilator, which they did. We were hopeful again. Um, but you know, when someone's coming up, when they're getting extubated, it's crazy because they've got all this medicine that's been keeping them under, right? They've been tranked basically. And he was just like, so, you know, had to kind of get him, control him and say, hey, just stay still, please. Just stay still or else they're not going to take that tube out. And I said that to him. I got right in his face and I said, babe, you have to hold still. I want you to focus on three things. I want you to focus on if you're hungry, if you're in pain, if you need your bed changed, because I got pretty adept at taking this 200 and some pound man and changing it because otherwise they'd set him, they would leave him in it. And he ended up getting bed sores. So I had to do it myself. And as soon as I got done talking to him, the nurse came around and said, Mr. French, you're going to have to hold still. You need to listen to your wife. Okay. Well, his mom's watching all of this. After the funeral, I'm privy to the fact that she's been telling everybody that I was yelling and screaming at my husband. I was like, and because I was in such a brain fog, I didn't even like, I literally was second guessing myself. Did I do that? Did I, what, why would she say that? You know, like I didn't, that didn't happen. Did it, did it happen? I don't know. I know it didn't happen, you know, until finally three months later, I was like, actually, let's think about this logically. We're in the middle of COVID. I'm in the ICU. They don't want me there. If I was yelling and screaming at the patient, what would they have done? A nurse standing right there. Yeah, you'd have been out. They'd have kicked me out. They would have said, I don't give, I don't care what you have. You're out. Instead, the nurse came around and rallied him, you know, and said, listen, we're here trying to help you. I don't know why she did what she did, but shortly after, well, it was the day at the funeral, she had put a whole bunch of pictures up. I had already got the, you know, I, they, they're telling me one thing and doing another, you know, we've got you, we'll take care of you, we'll do this. I get to the funeral and there's pictures of just him and his family, none of me and the kids. And I was like, I just lost it. I was just like, what is going on? And I'm picking up these pictures and like, what is happening? You know, like I'm his wife. And you're invisible to them. Right. It was surreal. And so, of course, I'm grasping at them because I'm like, I got to hold on. This is the last vestige of my husband. I've got to hold on to you guys. You know, you guys are the last of me, you know. And I'm in, I was in, let's just say this. When my husband passed, I let out some kind of animalistic sound that 
nurses came running in so that I'd be quiet because I was scaring everybody on the on that floor. I was so loud and so so visceral, right? I wasn't I'm I'm still not in a good place mentally. I'm just not. But I've never experienced so much lack of compassion, so much harshness, so much cruelty from people that are supposed to love this man. I mean, he asked his mother and his sisters and his grandma to take care of his family. And they, day of the funeral, we need to mourn separately. That's what they said to me. We need to mourn separately because I kept asking them, are we not part of the family? What does this mean? Why did you do this? Did they all come to your wedding? Ish, sort of? No. His parents did. He has a brother and sister that refused to even talk to him for most of the time that we were together. Like, they didn't talk to him. They hadn't been talking to him. It wasn't me that brought that on. They hadn't been talking to him. Josh is somebody who's like, well, that's okay. I still love him. You know? But they had, I don't know. It was, so that was the first separation. And, And they took me off all the Marco Polos. They wanted everybody to just ignore us, didn't want to even have anything to do with us. And we were just like, why? So you got, you lost him and... And his family all in one fell swoop. Um, we have family members in the family that still contact us and, and we're close to, right? But I noticed that they were the ones that he was close to. And these other people that left, they were never close to him. They just weren't. They weren't in his life. They didn't know what was going on with him. They didn't know who was in his life. He had one sister that I walked in the door to meet her and she ran up the stairs to her bedroom. I still to this day have never been for- formally introduced to her. And it's strange. That's strange. It, there was some strange behavior, but what could you do? What do you do in those situations? I'm like, oh, okay. So you were shocked by obviously losing him and then realizing, holy crap, this family's an absolute mess. This family has none of the love that I thought was there. None of it. You know, they were all... So he learned it all on his own. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He estranged himself from them while still maintaining that, you know, like superficial relationship where, oh, I just, I call, I'm happy. You don't really need to know all my ins and outs. My husband was living in Utah. His brother, sister, and other sister were also living in Utah. This was in like 2010. He was homeless. He was living out of his car. He had a full-time job. He was a full-time student. And he just couldn't afford a place to live with all of this, these family members that had no idea that he was homeless. Because he never felt comfortable enough letting them into his world. Must, I, I don't know. I mean, it was, when I found out little tits, you know, I put this puzzle together. I still have pieces missing, but I'm like, well, that's not normal. You know, and I mean, we all have dysfunctional families. I've got my own, but it's just strange, you know. I mean, I two weeks after my husband passed, my dad actually said to me, so are you back to work? I was like, uh, I haven't even showered and I don't even know how many days. I don't, when it, no. Like, when you gonna, when you gonna go back to work? Uh, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's Did been two weeks. Did you know what else to say or you just felt like you needed to say something? Or, well, my father. Or was he genuinely concerned that you weren't no, at work? No, 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 no. My father, the week of the funeral, promptly told me that he was 
first of all, he made a big show of telling everybody he was going to pay for the funeral. And then when all the receipts came in, I, I wasn't the one sending, you know, I mean, I put him in contact with the people that were helping with everything is my, I had him cremated and he, he actually is around my neck all the time. So I have him next to my bed. I could not even fathom putting him in the ground. I couldn't even fathom his body when they sent it to the crematorium. I had a freak out, called him and said, you need to make sure there's a blanket on him, you know, because... I mean, when he passed, I screamed and cried, but I just banished everybody out of the room. I told them, you need to bring me a basin. I need to wash him. I got to get him out of this. You got to take all of his stuff out of him. And I just, I washed my husband, put clean sheets on his bed, clean gown on him. And I just curled up into his arm and fell asleep because I hadn't slept in so long and that I always slept with him like holding me for all the time that we were married and I slept for like four solid hours just right in the crook of his arm and I just anyway I let these people just handle everything and as soon as the receipts came into my dad, he was like, oh, I'm not actually called. He was going to accost my poor daughter. But thankfully, I, I answered her phone and I said, hey, dad. And he's like, oh, honey, I can't, I can't pay for this. I thought it was going to be maybe $500. I was like. For a funeral? Okay. Okay. I said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You know, you're the one that offered. Nobody asked you to do this. He's like, I got to get out of here. I don't know if I'll be at the funeral. I just, this is too much stress for me. So he promptly left and went to Arizona. Called me from there. I'm so glad I made it here. I really needed to get out of this. I'm not even kidding. I wow. wish I could make this stuff up. He was pissed when he got to the funeral because he decided it wasn't in good taste to not go. So then he flew like a bat out of hell from the airport down to Springville so he could be at this funeral and was pissed that I left. Well, after the fiasco, I stayed for the funeral. I, you know, spoke. I told everybody what I really thought. And then I left. I, I didn't want to have the funeral anyway. But my husband has many, many friends. And most of the people that were there were his friends. I can't even tell you the levels of things that people have said. You know? Yeah, you can. That's why you're here. Ugh. You don't have to, though. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, those kind of things. Or, like, you just have to have more faith. You know, you just need to, you just need to pray. It'll, it'll get better if you just pray. Like, I'm praying more than I've ever prayed in my life. Sometimes people just need to say nothing. Absolutely. Listen. Or the best thing, how can I help? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so here's the deal. This isn't a problem that's solvable. Is there somebody here on this earth that can bring my husband back? Because if you can, I will pay any amount of money. I will do anything. You, my soul is yours if you can bring him back. So you can't? Well, then you can't fix this. And there's no fixing it. There's no fixing mm. it. What I realize is people literally, I mean, I lost his family, my best friend. My best friend just ghosted me for like literally your best friend not your my husband, best, best friend, friend yes well 
my husband was my is my best friend, but this she has known me since we were six years old. She helped she put the whole funeral on. That's why I was so confused why everything went so crazy, you know. But it, uh, people just falling out, family members. I have a cousin who sent me this nasty letter, nasty letter saying that I was worshiping my husband, and that's the reason why I can't seem to get past. I've got to focus on God more. If I could just focus on God more, then I would have peace. That is the weirdest thing in the world. We all wish we had a spouse that worshipped us and that we, we could worship our spouse. I think we all wish we had that. So I, I look at what you, I only know what you had because you told me, but you are like one of the probably the luckiest people on the planet. You know, when you see all these people, it's like, oh, my soulmate, I married my best friend. You, you actually did. Yeah. Which just makes sense why it hurts so much and why it's oh yeah, a dark place for you. Yeah, like inescapable. I think people say things just to say things. They don't really know what to say, or are these, or are you detest detecting that they're just being snarky and rude? Um, I would say it's a mix. I think that it's terrifying. Think about that. Do you like to look at someone who's widowed? Do you even want to hear? I mean, you clearly invited me to say this, but you would be an anomaly. Most people are terrified because it makes them think of their own mortality. It makes them think, oh my gosh, this is possible. It's not even possible. It's, it's a reality. going to happen. I'm going to die. You're going to die. Everyone's going to die. And nobody has any control. That's the second factor is that there's absolutely no control over when you go. I literally had the thought a year before he got sick. We don't need to get life insurance on him. He's he's young. You know, I'm I'm the one that probably needs got life insurance on me cuz he's 7 years younger than me. That's not how it was supposed to go down. So I think that people say these things based off the fact that they are scared that I terrify them. My situation, my reaction, my behavior, I'm very raw and real. Do they, do you, do they think that you should, you should have moved on by now and oh, yeah. be, have normal and, and you can just compartmentalize your yeah. pain like, like you're supposed to? Yeah. According to the, whatever rule book there is that yeah. doesn't exist. Is that, have people said that or is that Absolutely what you, is that what, no. Absolutely no. They're actually saying you yes. should, you should, why are you, you still, to, yes. this is like this happened yesterday. Why are you acting this why way? Are, yeah. Why are you still where you are? I can't believe you're where you are. You know, my favorite, you know, your husband would not want you to be like this. Listen, first of all, you don't know him. If anyone knows him better than God, it's, or as close to God, I would be my you. mistake. It's me. And I'll share this with you. I, again, very, very independent person. Did everything on my, I had to. My first husband didn't go anywhere with us. He didn't do anything. And I wanted my kids to have a good life. I decided I was going to utilize whatever funds that this guy could give me to help my kids grow and raise my kids right. You know, and thankfully my kids say that. I loved my childhood. I gave them that at great sacrifice for myself, right? But my husband somehow captured me to the point where I was different. I was different. I was this, I needed him. I told him that you terrify me because I actually need you. And I don't know how to feel about that. 
you know. So he took a job and he actually would go a couple of days out of the week away from me just for a couple of weeks, actually it happened for a couple of weeks. And I was like, and I was beside myself like a crazy person. I'm, and I would look in the mirror and be like, pull yourself together. What is wrong with you? Like you're a nutcase, you know, what's wrong with you? And finally he agreed that he would just take me up to work with him. You know, and I, I, he did fitness videos for Icon and I'd be on their videos and I'd do their, you know, do the Nordic track, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And one time I couldn't go. And I remember he called me on a Thursday. He was coming home on Friday night. He had to work on Friday morning. And he just knew, my husband knew, I had to be careful what I ever said. If I said, oh, I don't really like that, it came in the mail. I really need help with, he did it. I mean, talk about night and day from the first one. The first one was like, I don't even know who you are. This guy was like, how can I make your life fantastic? So he called me Thursday mid-afternoon and was like, hey, babe, how you doing? You know, and I said, babe, I just, I think I'm going to need to just let you go. I'm going to, I don't want to, I feel too emotional right now. I'm so sorry. I'm not like this. I'm so sorry, right? Let's talk tonight. He, that was a very short conversation. I'm cooking dinner in my kitchen and the door opens and closes. I'm thinking it's one of the kids. I turn around and here comes my bear barreling through. And this is what I, I went, <gasps> I mean, like, like I hadn't seen him in 50 years. And he just got this look of like, oh, and we, he just came and scooped me up and gave me, you know, like just passionate kiss. And I'm just like, so does my husband know how I'm handling this? Yeah. Because if that's how I would react after a couple of days, he knows how I'm going to handle this. He knows why. And you know what? I hate to break the news, but we made this covenant. We would mourn with those that mourn. If you're a follower of Christ, you're supposed to mourn with those that mourn. He didn't say fix them. He didn't say teach to them. He didn't say preach to them. He didn't say condemn them. Love them. Just sit with them. Just sit with them. For as long as they need, not for when it's convenient. But yeah, I I can see. People like in their mind, it's like, well, there's a grieving period and you should be past that by now. Right. Get on with your life. Haven't you read the rule book? You're so young. You've got so much to give. Who? Who am I going to give this to? I have somebody. He's my husband. What do you want me to give? Because I'm, I'm flat out. I'm out of juice. I am. I've been wiped. And the only thing I'm looking for is people to just don't tell me what to do. Don't make me feel like I've done something wrong. Like I'm not faithful enough. And I don't sounds like believe enough. Sounds like, sounds like you've done it the most right, really. <laughs> Well, I'm not going to say whether I have or haven't, but guess what? I'm hurting more than I ever have in my whole life. I'm hurting so deep. I can't get away from it. Why don't you guys, don't, why don't you travel away from myself? Because I got to take me with me, unfortunately. Yeah, could I go, could I leave me? <laughs> That's who I need to get away from. <laughs> I need to get away from me. You know, or my favorite, make grief your friend. What does that even mean? Welcome it in. Grief is just love. Deep love. True. 
but it's not my friend. I mean, even for Christmas, I, I put grief in a room and I shut the door because I was, my son was coming from Texas. We were going to, I finally decorated. I haven't done it in years. I, you know, since all this, I haven't done it. I decorated the house like I used to put the tree up, got everything ready. We we're going to have all these events, you know, and I'm thinking I'm putting my best foot forward. Grief's in the door, shut it, locked it, shut another door, locked it with a couple of padlocks, steel door, chain around it, a whole bunch of locks thinking it's good and safe over there. I'm not even going to think at it. I'm not going to look at it. I'm not even going to consider it. I'm just going to focus on my boy and my other boy and my daughter. That's it. They're, and their spouse, we're going to have a good time. I'm going to make sure. <laughs> Christmas Eve, of course, I did get COVID Christmas Eve. But, you know, and that probably dampened my resolve. But I don't know what came over me. I'm going to tell you, I don't know. I just know by Christmas morning, I was having that. (laughs) And they're all at my house. My mom, everybody's there. They're making breakfast. And I'm just like, I I don't know what to do. Grief came ripping through both of those doors and tore the steel, peeled it, attacked me and said, listen. You don't get to ignore me. You don't get to forget about me. You have to have me sitting right here with you all the time. All the time. I don't care if you want me here or not. I'm here. I'd ask everybody to leave. I was like, I am so sorry. I I need you guys to go. Just because I could feel that wailing and gnashing of teeth coming on. And it sounds like wailing of gnashing of teeth. You can talk to any widow. If Well, they may not tell you. You're a regular person. (laughs) They're not as open as I am. I am very like transparent. They were pissed at me. Everybody was pissed at me. And I even went back to him and said, I'm sorry. I I told you to leave so that you wouldn't see the ugly that was coming because I couldn't stop it. I could not stop that ugly. I wanted to for all of you. I couldn't. And they just weren't having it. They want to hear it. They're like, Control yourself. Getting, you know, get yourself under get control. Your, yeah, yeah, put your big girl pants it's on. Easy to say that when you've not experienced. I don't even know where my closet is. Okay, I'm just gonna be real about this. I can't put my big girl pants on because I don't know where they are. You know, I just like I don't. Yeah. I don't even know how to put the. I. What does that even mean? I don't know how to get to. I don't even know pant. how I get to work half the time. I'm like automaticity. I'm not even kidding because I was such a like disciplined human i have put in so many systems in place that i know how to do stuff without thinking but eventually that's probably gonna wear out too i don't know i couldn't tell you i all i know is i can't listen to one more person tell me well didn't you get a priesthood blessing yeah more than my fair share in the last year well don't you pray god is with you Well, sometimes he's not. Sometimes he lets you walk alone. I don't know why he does that. Why don't you ask him? You got all the answers. Well, you must be here for a purpose. Well, no kidding. Those are all the cliche things that people say. Yeah. Because they don't know what else to say and they feel like they have to say something. Oh, yeah. Or my favorite. He had, he's got more important work to do. God needed him for some important work to which my response is. No, his first estate 
is his family, his wife and his children. That's who he's going to be judged first on, right? It's not going to be what he did for whoever. It's going to be what he did for us. And that doesn't go away because he passed into the next realm. He didn't. He doesn't get to shirk those responsibilities. We're his first, first, and foremost priority. The stewardship's still there. It doesn't break. Just like your covenants to mourn with those that mourn didn't stop because you passed on or any promises you make. Those are bound. You can't get rid of them. Especially when you're thinking, oh, well, we've got to get on and build our mortal life here. Which, and, and yeah, and people mean well but sometimes they should just shut up they mean well yeah so sometimes maybe they don't always mean well maybe they actually mean exactly what they're saying i think they're uncomfortable i think we're uncomfortable we just don't know we, we feel like we should say something there's some draw this thing to say something and i learned a long time ago that you don't have to say other than how can i help but i think that's why people do it Unless they're just assholes in there. And there are those. There are those. I I really lean on my kids. Um, I have a special needs sister that came. She announced to everybody she was going to come and live with me in June after he passed. Because she didn't want me to be alone. So that's a miracle. And she's with you she's, now? Yeah. She stays with me. I mean, she, you know. She does everything right. I have to tell you, if people could take a note out of her book, she does everything right. She doesn't say things that don't need to be said. She doesn't try to fix anything. She just sits with me. You know, she just lets me be me. And she doesn't fault me. Everybody else is just panicked. My mother was like, we've just never seen you like this. And they've never had to do anything for me. That's the other thing. Nobody's ever had to. People are pissed off because I was the doer in the family. And now I'm completely disabled. I mean, I am. Well, you're still working though, right? I do. Yeah, I have to eat. So you're still, you're still <laughs> yeah. working. So I work, It's not yeah. like you're curled up under a bridge somewhere. No. Can't function, can't live. But I'm not working at the capacity that I used to. Which is understandable. No, it's not. We had a gentleman on our site. Six months after his wife passed, his boss called him in the office and said, hey, I got to talk to you about your performance. This dude's telling us. He's like, what should I do about this? I got to talk to you about your performance. It's down. You need to get back up on the horse. You need to start dating again. We got to get things rolling. (laughs) Did you contact HR? All of us are coming back. Did you contact HR? I think this has broken some laws. <laughs> I think that he's surpassed like the level of, you say asshole. Yeah. I mean, he's the king of that. The, I don't know. I don't, I just, it seems that humanity, the more we scream for kindness, nobody's giving it. I have good people in my life that I'm holding on to for dear life. And they're not the people. That's what I real. That's what I learned is I thought I was supposed to be able to deal with, you know, be with my family, that they're the ones who are going to shore me up. And my kids do. My sister does. But the rest of my family, they cause me grief. They cause me more grief. And so if there is a tender mercy that comes into my life, it's that 
God has sent, you know, we've got beautiful friends that my husband introduced me to, that we call them family now because they take care of us. They check on us. What can you do? Well, you can just check in. Hey, I was thinking about you. You want to go cat, like get dinner? Believe me, I don't sit and just talk about my boo-hoo, wow-wow. All That's not what I do. I actually want to know what other people are doing. I'd rather because then I don't have to think about myself. We go to the movies, we go, we play games, we have dinner. You know, I mean, we just, though, that's what you can do. You can incorporate us into our, your, you know, your life. Love us. And that just means that you let us be part of life. Because we have to be here. I'm forced to be here every day. Do I want to be here? No. But I'm not a suicidal person. I mean, I've looked at it long and hard, believe me. But it's just, it's not my M.O., and the goals I have set for myself, I'm not going to be able to achieve it through that. So I just have to do the best right that I can. But You're stuck here. I'm stuck until I can go, which God willing will be sooner than later. I don't want to be here any longer. I mean, I've come to the world looks more ugly. Sketch <laughs> by the just, day. Yeah. I mean, it people does seem just, that way. They just don't. You know, I, but I have to look. So these people that are in my life, oh, I love them. I'm so grateful for them. And I tell them that regularly. And I reach out and tell people, yeah, I'm thinking on you. I'm thinking on you because you have to do those things, you know. I try my best. I love my fourth graders. I try my best to sow good, you know. I'm not out there trying to... S- slice and dice people like they are me. But but I have to say that's not everybody, you know, and I have to I have to hold on to that. These are people that, you know, that do love me in spite of me. And thankful. Thankful for that. You know, and I've had so many experiences with my husband. So many. You know, he comes to me in dreams all the time and and strange things weird things <laughs> strange things like just feelings you get or smells or thoughts or what smells thoughts people bring me things that are things that he would give me or they say things that he says that they they're not around him they weren't you know i mean i'm like i had 25 dragonflies over my head nowhere near any body of water Swooping around my head for a good five to ten minutes. Twenty-five. Was that something he liked? It is something... Okay, the story is that before, right before I met him, I started seeing dragonflies. And I'm not that hokey person, right? But when they come, and they keep coming, and you're sitting in the middle of the freeway, and they're flying around your car, and just weird stuff like that, you're like, okay... So I just looked it up and it dragonflies like transformation and, you know, uh, basically just transformation. And so I was like, oh, something big's coming into my life. And then my husband came. Well, on behind you on my shelf, there's two books by a medium. Oh. Her name is Laura Lynn Jackson. And she's written these two. And they're phenomenal 
about how the people who pass are still obviously they're still there makes sense otherwise life doesn't make sense if they just die and there's nothing but she talks about how you can you can actually tell them how you want them to communicate with you i've tried it it works because I, my, my mother's gone, my stepmother's gone, my dad's third wife is gone, and my wife's mother's gone. And one day I was out. She said, tell them what you want to see. And I had this thought, oh, I don't know, four ducks. Just whatever. I was teenager mindset, and like, whatever, I'll just try it. And I went on a walk a couple weeks later. I just didn't think anything of it. I was on this walk, and I was walking around this canal and I came around the corner and I saw two ducks. I'm like, eh, well, two of them showed up <laughs> hundred yards down the street, two more because I, I thought that. And she says, you can tell them or things that they liked it. I don't, have you read either one of these? No, these are phenomenal. That I'm going to take a picture of them and I'm going to take them with you. Okay. But stuff like that, it makes sense. Cause otherwise it's a, the universe is a colossal waste of space. Oh, let me tell you, if I had no understanding of the next life, I would have walked out of the hospital and in front of a bus. And to tell you the truth, I feel frustrated that I have that knowledge because I do know it. I can't deny it. And so that makes it hard for me because I can't do that. It would have been so much nicer to be ignorant I could have just been like, okay, see ya, peace out. Because you're right. Why on earth would I stay here? Why would I do that? To torture myself? No, I'm trying to finish up the strongest way I can with what I have so I can move on to the better place too. I'll tell you what. Dragonflies, my husband shows up. Didn't see dragonflies again until right before he got sick. And they were at me. I'm saying dying on my porch, dying on my back porch. I mean, they were everywhere. And this last, well, from, it'll probably start again, you know, from March till my last dragonfly I saw was like right before November. I'd see one every day. They would fly past. You don't, just so you know, dragonflies are not common. They're not. Unless there's a body of water and there's like swamp, you know? I mean, I'm walking into stores and they're, I went to see my son out in Texas, in McAllen, Texas, on the border. They were all over. And I kept asking him, I was like, do you guys see these all over? And I just wanted to check because I didn't tell him. He's like, no, that's weird. Five of them over here, 10 of them over here. And I'm like, what? But the one, when I was going to see my friend, that was the most shocking is I saw one on my way there. I walked into her house, walked around her house. She was showing me, she's another widow. She was showing me all the stuff that she'd done because she'd went through a purging. <laughs> I am going through a hoarding. <laughs> she's purged everything, right? I was like, I'm not getting it. I walk into my husband's closet and I walk right into the clothes and just put my face in them. You know, I still have his bag packed to the side of my bed. 
he is next to my bed. His remains are next to my bed. You know, I mean, I take him everywhere with me. He came to me in a dream and said, I, I'll be with you until you come home. So that's powerful. That's a, that's a gift that you've been given. It is a gift. Killing it is, it's killing me. It is killing me because my husband and I, I mean, we were, our, our love language is physical touch. So I'll let you go with that. It was constant. It's, there's such a, there's such a level of loss on every plane that I can't explain to people. You know, I just can't explain it. And they, they don't understand. I don't, and I've stopped trying because you're not supposed to cast your pearls before swine. If they don't understand the preciousness of it, don't waste your time telling them. Unless, of course, they ask. Right. Then, then, right. then, then they're open to it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. So I... And you don't have to explain. You don't... Uh-uh. Well, it's, and it's not explainable, honestly. Yeah. Even when I say it, people are like, I am so overwhelmed. Like, I just don't even know what to do with that information. You know, the good ones still don't. Now my life consists of going to work, working as long as I can. I go home, I'm exhausted. That's the other thing. You don't understand the exhaustion. Like it takes so much effort to put that mask on. Right now, super comfortable because you're allowing me to think and be where I am. I don't have to put a mask on to go to work and smile and do all the things that the people there need me to do. I mean, even my work, they don't understand the need for like my extreme need. I never took days off. Now I'm like, I have to have these days off because I, I can't be here. You don't want me to be here. Trust me, it will get ugly if I am here this day, you know? And here I am putting a supreme effort to try and protect other people from the ugly that I could really be. They're looking at me thinking that there's ugly just, you know, like, ah. They have no idea the level of emotion I can bring to the table <laughs> you know, if I let it go. If I just let it go, it's exhausting. And there's nobody who will tell you different. The more you talk to widows, the more you're going to be like, oh, they just, and they don't know what to do. They don't know who to turn to. You know, they just, I went to counselors. I'm on my fourth counselor, my fourth therapist, and she's doing wonders for me, but she's doing EMDR. I had a counselor actually look at me, a therapist, and he said, so how do you want me to proceed with this? And I just looked at him. I was like, I'm here for you to tell me that. Yeah, this is your My brain's not working. I don't know if you knew this, but I'm broken. Can you help me get some skills or some duct tape? Or I don't even care. Spiritual duct tape. Can you help me? You know, like, is there something you're going to do to help me? Because I am not here to tell you how to do your job. I thought you knew that already. (laughs) Have you thought about writing a book about your experience? I've actually started it. It's um, it's hard. I bet. It's hard to put it down. Because people automatically think you're super negative. I'm really not. I'm really trying to see the good, you know. People, well, the best is yet to come. And my response to them is, oh, you mean my funeral? I agree. <laughs> That's funny. I agree. <laughs> that is going to be the best because... <laughs> 
What could, is there a Josh 2.0 out there? No. Because I guess in the normal, the normal world, you lose your spouse, you grieve, you move on, you find another one. Right. And, I mean, to me, that I mean, I, I've never met anybody that's lost a spouse that's grieving like you have. So this is new for me, as well. And it's like so you've had definitely have you've had something incredibly special. But that be my mentality. I'm like, oh, well, you just do the grieving, you move on, and you maybe get married again, and blah blah blah, and then however that works out at the end. I think it's normal for like, that's normal thinking. If you can set that aside, I talk to my husband every day. <laughs> Little puppy. <laughs> Look on your face is priceless. <laughs> You're just like, I want to kill he that just, dog. He just, he has the knack to. Oh. Anyway. Anyway, I, you know what? I was the same way. Oh, people just get remarried. They'll probably find another spouse. When you were with your first one, it made sense. You would oh, think absolutely. that way. You're like, yeah, I could Good replace grief. this. Good grief. I was like. It's got to be something better. And you found it. Yeah. But now, then, I mean, I'm just like, okay, I literally incorporate my husband and in I talk to him all day long. You know, I know he's there. I felt him push me before. I felt him take my hair behind my ear. I'm like, seems a little surreal to just go find another one. And what do I do with him? Can you find another place <laughs> yeah, to just kind of hang out? <laughs> Don't look. Just keep yeah. your eyes blinded. How does that work? Yeah, because you apparently can see everything yeah. on that from that side. So he's going to be watching me with somebody else? Like, how does that work? And I'm a one-horse woman. I'll tell you, I had a funny experience with one of my... That, that phrase came out in one of my realtor client situations because I had a... They call themselves a triad. <laughs> you know, a man with two women... And I was helping them find some place, and you know they were eyeing me up. It's a prospective, you know. Oh, you were. Like, and I was like, and a, I just said, "Oh, I triad uh, is that I, swinging." Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Triad, not swinging. No, oh, no, no. is that? They, is, okay. And I don't know if that's a, like a an activity they participate in, but they had three of them instead of two, and they were always looking to add to their collection. Yeah. Hey, some people collect marbles and stamps. And I made that, I had to make that very clear. I am a one horse woman. I do not swing that way. So sorry. Actually, not sorry. <laughs> you know, yeah, like just, you do you. Yep. I am doing, I just, so when you're wired that way, you're wired a certain way, mm -hmm. you know? And I just can't get around the, you know, I've tasted the, poss the the best possible piece of cake ever. There's no getting around it. It's n I can't go back to oatmeal. I just can't. I like oatmeal. It was fine until I had the most decadent chocolate cake ever. And here's the deal. I mean, not for people like coming into my life that I don't even I don't even know why I I'm not dating i haven't put myself out there i go to work and i come home i spend time with my sister that's it i don't have a social life but yet people from you know men from different places reach out that knew me from my past and 
And one of them was bent, you know, he thought he was going to make something of it. And I said, listen, I'm not in a place. I'm not your girl. I still have a big picture of my husband up on the fireplace, another one above the fireplace, and one right where I pick up my purse and I kiss his face because I used to kiss his, oh, he had the most juicy lips and I would just take his, you know, and I would go like this down his beard. Just, it was just a habit. I can't not do that still. Are you going to be okay with that? I know you're not Josh. Are you going to be okay that I'm probably never going to let you touch me? <laughs> Are you going to be okay that I probably need you to actually live in your own house? Actually, you, you know, just, this whole thing is yeah. just not going to work out. You, you just know? want a chess partner? <laughs> yeah, right. Can we just have a dinner date once in a while? <laughs> I mean, I just... Serious friend zone. Serious. Serious friend zone. Like, I'm so sorry, but you're not ever going to be able to touch me. Because the thought just makes me go, <gasps> yeah. you know? Like, it makes me sick to my stomach. I endured a relationship like that. I don't have to. And that's the other thing. Honestly, people jump into stuff willy-nilly because they're so lonely. It occurred to me one day as I was driving past a couple, and I thought, oh, I bet they're so happy. And then the second thought came, I'll bet they're not, and you don't even know. You assume, don't you remember that first time, Karishmay? Don't you remember how lonely you were with someone laying right next to you? How worried and anxious you were that he was going to do something to you or take something from you? Don't you remember that? Immediately, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Not worth it. No, 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 no. Not when I have gold. And I've seen it. I've watched people get remarried. I've watched them and I've watched it fail. And I've watched them now have to hurt because they miss their love. And now they're in chaos because of a divorce or, you know, somebody who just couldn't let go. This is a crazy town. Like this is a circus. And I don't know how to like navigate it very well anymore. <laughs> well, there's no guidebook. There's no guidebook. Mm -mm. It's cooked spaghetti thrown on the floor. Where did it go? What is it? What is that? It's a disaster. Oh, there's all kinds of books, though. Do you know how many books I've been given? <laughs> At least 25. Well, and here I'm 27 You know now. what, though? I am totally okay with this because this is going to... But how to deal with your grief... How, you know, a grief observed. I had, I was given two sets of that, you know. Grief, grief, the nonlinear way, but here are the steps. But I thought you said it was nonlinear. Now you're yeah. going to tell me the steps, right? You know, <laughs> it's just so shocking. You're just like. Have you found any value in any of those? I read A Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis, and I can identify with that man. There was some things because he was with his wife about as long as I was with my husband and she passed from illness as well. And he was just, he never remarried. He couldn't, he couldn't do it again. It was too, it hurts too deeply. And the possibility is, listen, my husband got sick at 38. At 38, he got sick 
and he was gone by 40. That's crazy. So help me understand how I can have any comfort or security that that's not going to happen again. Or that I just, I am so damaged. I tell people I'm on fire all the time and I can't quench it. But the interesting thing when people say, oh, it gets better over time. That's a lie. But let me tell you, if you put an iron to your arm and you held it there, it would first start to burn and you'd just be screaming, right? But eventually you get used to the, you would not feel it as much. I mean, it would still be burning, but you would just be like, oh yeah, my arm's on fire. That's not better. That's not getting better. It's tolerating it. Yeah. A level of really dark indifference, right? Like where you're like, well, this is my life. What do I do with it? And I tried to immerse myself into, you know, that my other one. Well, you need to serve more when you're in the service of your fellow man. Forget about your own pain. Right. Then you'll be grateful. I'm like, I just ended up being more tired. <laughs> you know, I hate that because I was always a service person. You know, in my church, I was always like four callings. I just was constantly go, 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 serving everyone in my family. I was the one that was supposed to pick up the pieces for everybody. And now I'm like, I'm just tired. I'm so tired. There's also the scripture that says, do not run faster than you have strength. I finally went in and released myself. I had an experience, and this is this is enough. This is probably the, it shouldn't be the crowning moment, but it was shocking. Because my ward has been so great. My ward is lovely. I love them fiercely. Okay. Where my family didn't pick up, my ward did. My ward was incredible through all of this. So I've never experienced this. I specifically went to the bishop and said, please let me be in the primary. I can't sit through another Relief Society. Not because these people are intentionally saying things to hurt me, but it just hurts me. It's me. It's my, it's my problem. So I've got to find a place where I can be safe and will you please put me, I spent 28 years in the primary. Primary was chaos. I am a person of order. So I went in and I was like, well, I didn't know one of the counselors didn't like me. And she made it her mission. She told the president I needed to sit in my seat and look straight forward. I needed to not talk to any of the kids in the primary. And I was like, what? What am I, six years old? What am I, six years old, right? But they were so afraid of upsetting her that they were willing to sacrifice the newly widowed woman on the altar. And I finally, I mean, I, I, I didn't, it wasn't that I was playing along. I'm in widow's fog. So I was like, what? It took me like a couple of weeks to be like, this isn't right. So I went to the bishop and I was like, I'm sorry, you're going to have to release me. I'm very, I, I need, I am releasing myself from this calling. I said, it's abhorrent that someone like this you know, and I asked, well, can we sit down and have a talk? Can we get, work this out? No. Bishop was like, well, you apparently said something to one of her kids. I was like, I've never even had any of her kids in my class. I don't know what's going on here, but I'm sorry that she has issue. And I did take some comfort in the fact that I'm not the only one she targets like that. But at the time, I felt like it. Still, can you tell me, Brian, I should target the newly widowed woman? Let's go and make her life worse. Maybe she doesn't know what the word mourn means. When you say mourn, right? it doesn't mourn. I was like, what? I just like, so I just was like, I'm sorry. They put me in as the compassionate service leader. So I was doing funerals and I was like, oh, okay. 
I got it. I I'm I'm gonna have to say I I have to let go for a minute. Yeah, I'm checking out of the church for <laughs> just, a while. I'm gonna come for sacrament meeting. I'm gonna try real hard to go to to relief society or or gospel doctrine. But I've got to tell you, I I may not be able to last. I find my seat right next to the door, so that when I have to get up, we can go. Because I'm like I'm sorry. Sometimes you guys say stuff and it's not you. You're saying the same stuff you've been saying for so many years. You just haven't been paying attention to the widow in the corner that's been there the whole time too. You haven't noticed the grief on her on her face, the pain that's etched when you say certain things. You guys weren't paying attention. Or Me, she may be hiding it very well. She might. Yeah. Me, there is nothing hiding on this face. Even when I am silent, <laughs> I don't even have to say anything. People are like... Oh dear. <laughs> it's like I'm a pretty open book. I hope that's what you were looking for. A little bit of like well, maybe in, in wrapping up, and you may have said it already, but for those and again, I've said before, if someone's grieving, the best thing you can say is how can I help? How can I help? And I think that's it. But you tell me what can People, people, again, I think people say things because they don't know what to say and they feel like they have to say something. Something's compelling them to say something. I don't know where it comes from. But they, feel like, they, they, they feel like doing nothing mm-hmm. is worse. So they say, oh, he's in a better place now. Right. Which, sure, fine, whatever. Right. But I'm not with him, so it pisses me off. Right. Exactly. Well, the first thing I would say is don't find fault. Consider. My mother-in-law found fault with me, even though there was none. But she had to somehow, I don't know what was going on with her. I'm going to just say that. I don't know. I don't know her well enough. This was a shock. Consider that there's no way to reconcile what was said with the person who's not there anymore. So what you're doing is you're just creating this gaping void of pain that can't be resolved until we're all dead. So just don't say things that can't be resolved. Don't say things that can't be resolved. Better yet, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Nothing you say is going to fix it. If you can't fix it, then just be like, not how are you doing? Because when people have said that to me, guess what? I tell them. I even give them a warning. Do you really want me to answer that? And they're like, don't ask if you don't want to know. I don't know, you know, don't. It's good to see you, Karishme. I'm so glad to see you. You know what? Those words just make me feel better. I'm so glad you came out. Because guess what? There's many people who are like, I can't get out of my house. It's too painful. It's too hard. I'd rather just stay here, which then makes them feel worse, right? Because we, we are social animals. We need to be out. But it's hard when you know someone's going to say something like, so how are you? Uh, I'm in hell. Deep fried dog shit. Yep. That's how I feel. I am burning, you know, like a Benedi, only internally every day with no end in sight. How are you doing? <laughs> you know, like, it's just like. Thanks for asking. Yeah. It's like so ridiculous, right? Don't ask that. Yeah. Don't say they're in a better Pleasant, place. Pleasant trees, yeah. Don't say, yeah. Don't tell them that they're about more important work than you, because they're not. Don't tell them. In fact, I lost 20 pounds I didn't have to lose. I've only gained 10 of them back. So imagine me 10 pounds lighter, skeletal, 
like bones. I mean, you can still see some of the bones, but bones, bones. Why have you lost so much weight? Literally, no guy, no kidding. That guy said that to me. And I said, because I died. Your husband would not want you to talk like that. All the things I just said, don't say that. Yeah, because you don't know what you're looking say. good. That's a good one. You're looking good because I can tell you right now, I look in the mirror and I'm like, who is that? Who is that? She does not look like me. She doesn't look like me. Don't say anything, but you'll look good. I'm glad to see you. How are your kids? How's work going? All of those things are other things that you can talk about. But I will say this. I do love it when people tell me, I remember when Josh did this. I remember Josh used to say this. I love memorializing with people. I love talking about my husband. I want to remember him. Because guess what? You're terrified you're going to forget. Yeah. Everybody says you won't. But they've never experienced widow fog. They've never experienced that. I don't know how I got here. I don't know how I put my shoes on. Because you forget a lot of things that are important. And so then you start freaking out. Have you tried medication? Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, I have. And it started making me forget. In fact, the thought came in my mind. It's okay if you don't think about Josh right now. No, no, it's not. Do you have a therapist? That's another thing you shouldn't say to people. <laughs> have you tried therapy? Have you thought about medication? Have you tried, my favorite, have you tried hallucinogens? Uh, honestly, I went and did ketamine under the care of a psychiatrist. Can I just tell you by the third session, it was so terrifying that I was like, why in the hell do people do drugs? I'm like, oh no. I mean like, ah. Masking other pain, but yeah. I guess the best thing you can just do is sit with people. Can you just sit with them? It doesn't cost you anything. It really doesn't. It's, this isn't contagious because guess what? You already have the virus. <laughs> You're gonna die. And so is your spouse and your children and everybody else. They're all going to die and we don't know when. We're all infected. It's not something I'm going to give you because you already have it. But it would be nice if you would just sit with me. And if I do cry, let me cry. I promise that I won't cry forever. Or I might. And so what? Maybe you read a manual on what to say. Yeah, you're Maybe so, call it yeah. what to say or what to do and in, in the... <laughs> what to do with someone else's grief or Here's something this like example. that. Let me give you this really ugly, horrible example. Don't do that. Be a short book. Right. Just a little PDF document. Maybe. <laughs> right. Don't Do's do, and don'ts, please. Don't do this. Everything shit. would be, don't do that. You know, like I could give lots of horrific examples that would fill up a book. And then the next page would say, don't do, do that. Enemies, <laughs> yeah, all, like, don't do that. The last page is all this. Yeah. Refer to. Yeah. You could put some humor in it. Oh, absolutely. Right. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming. I, this has been really fun. <laughs> I know in a satirically well, in, dark in, way. In a, in a satirically dark way. <laughs> just, right. No, it's fascinating. And this is, I, I'm glad you are willing to come and, and share this because it's, I've never seen anyone go through what you're going through before. This is, 
to the level that you're going through it. Yes, I've seen people grieve over loved ones being lost, but you, know, you shed a different light on it. I got to tell you, I've searched for people like me too, and I can't find them. I'm desperately you have to be, looking for them. You are, well, maybe you're the pioneer and you uh. chart the path and write the book and <laughs> have the talk show. <laughs> a grief lived Doct- every day. <laughs> Dr. French. Dr. French. <laughs> maybe the grief that's whisperer. It. No, that, that's. <laughs> That's I'm writing that down. You're going to write that down? The grief whisperer. I, yeah. I, you know what? I said this to someone. I, I want to finish with this. Um, because after that that discussion about the woman who said she was, you know, they, they made a ward temple night. They said, oh, everybody's going to come. This is going to be Valentine's Day. We're going to have special dinner. Husbands, pay for your wives. Oh, yeah. The singles and the widows, you're welcome to come too, but you're going to have to pay for yourself because husbands are paying for their wives. It was horrific. And the the Mormon tap dancing that happened, that they were like, well, that's not what they really meant. I'm sure that if we should take this with grace. We should blah, 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 blah. And I finally got on and I said, you know, you guys got to stop being nice and start being kind. There is a difference between being nice and being kind. Right now you're being nice. You don't want to tell them what they did wrong. Because you think it might hurt their feelings. But what's going to happen is they're going to keep saying these absolutely abhorrent things. And they're going to hurt people that are already raw and bleeding. You are supposed to be kind and say, hey, first off, let's think about what we just said. Let's not ever have a temple ward night where we exclude anyone because we're all supposed to go to the temple. Let's always... If we're going to do something like that, let's fashion it so that the widows are attached to a couple so that they can be taken care of. Let's do this so different. Let's make this kind and let's stop being nice to each other like, oh, I'm sure you didn't mean that. Um, yes, you did because you said it. Indifference is worse than cruelty because yes. cruelty is intentional. Indifference means you it's don't hurt. care. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's way more hurtful. You don't care. You didn't even think. I wasn't even on your radar. And that's a special gift from hell. Yeah. Especially where you're trying to go and find solace at your worship services or at the temple. I have to say I love the temple because it's scripted. There's nothing that's going to change. Nobody's going to put their slant on it. It's all the same. I don't have to listen to the people that hit gospel doctrine or relief society and have their own perspective you know Mm -hmm. because a lot of times it's hurtful and i know it's not intentional but i'm not gonna mormon tap dance not doing it i'll tell you exactly oh that wasn't right what you just said that wasn't okay i don't have to be mean about it i'm actually being kind because you're going to remember and you're not going to say it to your son or your daughter you're not going to say it to your mother you're not going to say it to your neighbor because I brought it to your attention. So you're not going to say it again. It made you too uncomfortable. So anyway. Mic drop. Those are my final words. Thank you. <laughs> that was awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you all again for making it to the end. I want to once again thank our sponsors for this episode, the Legacy Group Real Estate and Gertson Clothing Company. Please visit their website at LegacyRealEstateUtah.com and Gertson.com. G-E-E-R-T-S-E-N dot com. 
Thank you again for listening to The Parish The Thought Show. We know you have many podcast options and appreciate that you have chosen us. If you love what you hear, please give us a rating on whatever platform you find us. And don't forget to share, like, and subscribe. If you hate what you hear, only tell us. You're still here? Click on the next episode for more from The Parish the Thought Show.